You are watching a brand new episode of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, brought to you in association with GlobalButterflies.com, helping your business to become more trans and non-binary inclusive. Also, Funk27.co.uk, disc content providers. Go check it out. Uh, oh, also, it, whilst you're here, before we get started, uh, maybe check the join button on YouTube. I've started like a little community. It's a bit like Patreon. It's exactly the same as Patreon. If you click join, then there's stuff. Just, just uh, check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to another episode of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments, your twice, sometimes thrice weekly cannonball dive bomb into the worlds of news, politics, dystopia, and all things awful. Uh, what's going on out there in politics land? Um, out in the formerly Great Britain. It's a weird place right now, isn't it? The UK and also Westminster. Um, it's a place where policies that don't make economic or political sense win seemingly unwavering support from the governing party because, uh, because, uh, because reasons. That's why. Just reasons. I guess we'll find out what those reasons are at the New Year's honours. <laughs> Call me a raging cynic if you must. But yes, um... And it's a place, the UK and Westminster, it's a place where the underlying policy, the foundation of this ridiculous policy, the, the fly them off to Rwanda policy is, uh, you know, stop the boats, isn't it? And that underlying policy is heralded as a priority for the British people. Again and again on every news show, every morning breakfast rounds, politician and minister again and again. It's just a priority for the British people. The British people expect this, backed up by no evidence whatsoever. Is it challenged by the journalists? No. No, 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 no. I mean, I would like to see it challenged. I would like to see a journalist just once, just a Kay Burley or, uh, you know, uh, I was about to say Piers Morgan. He's not on Good Morning Britain anymore, is he? I'd like to see just one morning journalist just go, I mean, you keep saying it's a priority for the British people, but I, I, I just checked Statista. And it's weird because it says right here that the priorities for the British people, according to this survey and every other discernible survey out there, is the NHS, you know, social care, hospitals, GPs and the economy. So it's just weird that you keep saying that this is a priority for the British people when it's so clearly not the priority. <laughs> Why are you wasting your time banging on about diggies when these are the things that people actually care? Stop changing the subject, you and your statistics and your charts and your survey, you bloody expert. But of course, um, you know, that exchange has not happened and it will not happen. Instead, what will we get? What do we get? We get, uh, you know, this is a priority for the British people and the British people expect this. And then the morning journalists on the sofa will go, right. Yeah. yeah OK, cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, makes makes perfect sense. Dingies. Dingies, you say. Oh, yeah. No, sounds very serious. So, um, 
So yeah, we have policies that make no political or economic sense, underpinned by policies that are not a priority for the British people. Um, so there's that one up there, this one down. It's like a, it's a veritable Jenga tower of parliamentary nonsense. And uh, and we are here, dear listeners, once again to pull away at those bricks. And I don't know, hopefully the whole thing will collapse and we can all move on. If it is your first time tuning in, um, don't be a stranger. Do drop me a comment um, on YouTube um, or give me a, like tag me on Twitter. Say hello. Um, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on TikTok and YouTube primarily. I'm also on Instagram, but I don't really like I post stuff on there, but it's not really not really my bag. I'll leave that to Danny Price. He's the expert at Instagram. Um, but yeah, if, if you've just found this podcast on Apple Podcasts, I also do punk politics videos on YouTube. Um, and I do uh, like an alternative paper review most mornings. So there you go. If, if that's if you like the podcast and you like a bit of satire, you know, if you like a healthy dose of what I like to playfully refer to as snarkasm, uh, then maybe, you know, go check those out as well. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, what, what was I talking about now? What, we've, what What is happening out there? What is in the news? What can we talk about this time? So there was obviously the big Rwanda vote uh, last night as I'm recording this. And, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on that going into it in too much more detail. Um, it's depressing enough already, isn't it? And we all kind of know the ins and outs of it by this point, I think. Um, but, you know, for the benefit of those who are maybe not so, you know, closely ears pinned to the pulse of British parliamentary news and developments, uh, this R Rwanda bill got through because ba basically because Sunak made a load of promises to people. That's that's all it is. A load of bargaining going on. A load of promises. Some of which he'll be able to keep. You know, if it's uh, if it's better funding for a thing in whoever's vote he's bought's constituency, you know, he might be able to keep that promise. Some of it less so. If it's, you know, peerages. You know, well, you know, if you, um, you're coming up to retirement, you know, you've already said you're going to stand down at the next election. I mean, if you, if you help me out here, maybe, maybe you could be in line for a peerage, old boy. You know, it's like that sort of thing. You scratch my back. Um, and then this, the final option, the final sort of, compromise that he made uh probably undoubtedly to a few of them last night would be diluting the core components of this specific policy like i mean that is actually pretty funny i think i mean there's a lot of darkness to this policy there's a lot of stuff to be depressed about but there is some humor in it too you know i like the way that it's been heralded a victory for the prime minister on the front page of the express like PM's victory, when in actual fact, it's that the prime minister has capitulated and we still don't even know what he's giving away to have skated through that vote. You know, like, what has it costed him? What has it costed us? What deals has he struck? What god awful did like if Mark Francois had you over a barrel? <laughs> Like, if you had to get Marc Francois on side, what would you end up promising that man? You know? Like, what kind of stuff is he into? You know, like, 
we ask the difficult questions on this show. Um, like if you had to win Marc Francois over, what might you be forced to do? <laughs> God only knows. God and Rishi Sunak. <laughs> so, so we know that deals were done, right? Uh, we don't know what they were yet. We do know the Star Chamber, God help me, the five families <laughs> have already said that they will vote this thing down. They will kill it if it doesn't break international law and detonate our standing on the world stage, which, you know, like a lot of people have been critical of the ERG playing such a dominant role in his whole thing. You know, a lot of people are like, well, hang on a second. Hang on, like, why is the ERG, you know, the European Research Group, getting so much airtime in a thing about Rwanda? You know, this isn't Brexit. The ERG, like Brexit's in the past. What have the European Research Group got to do with this? A lot of people are saying. And you know what? To those people, I say this. If you'll just indulge me, okay? <clears throat> to those people, I say... <laughs> are you kidding? Are you kidding? Like, we are talking about soiling our reputation as a geopolitical player on the world stage and breaking laws in limited and specific but very self-beneficial ways. This is absolutely their jam, son. I mean, in terms of geopolitical embarrassment and breaking the law, <laughs> the only thing that shocks me about Francois is that he isn't advocating us reinvading the colonies. <laughs> Anyway, so the Star Chamber, the five families are saying that they're going to vote this thing down when it comes back in January. The five family. Like I was saying yesterday, like, does this guy know that the five families is actually a New York City, like, crime moniker? <laughs> you know that? Like, is it, is it sort of like sometimes stand-ups think that they've written a joke and they like it's come from somewhere else that they but they just don't really remember it and they misinterpret it as something that they've just thought of. Like, and then they get uh, accused of joke stealing. Like, hey, that was my joke. Oh, really? Oh, I, I forgot that I saw you. I thought that I just thought of it. You know, there's a whole thing around that. But this is it's a similar thing with Marc Francois where he's heard somebody somewhere refer to like the five families in a kind of powerful, influential, half-scary kind of context. And now when he's got these five tribes or five subsets, it's like come to him. He's like, we should call ourselves the five families. You know, is that, is that sort of thing? Do you think? But anyway, yesterday I was saying, I was like, you know, does he know that the five families is a, a New York crime family thing? <laughs> you know, does he know that? I know he's not the most worldly of fellows you know i know his love of history and foreign countries probably starts and stops at spitfires shooting down german valves or whatever they were called down in the 1940s but couldn't one of his aides just tell him just pull him aside you know 
Like, listen, listen, Mark. Um, listen, this five families thing. Um, it it sounds a bit mafia. <laughs> it just sounds. It doesn't sound good, mate. Uh, a bit what? A bit a bit mafia, mate. You know, it's um, you know, it's the way the five Italian mafia families in New York is that that's how you describe them, the five families, which is fine. You know, if you, if you want the Conservative Party to be more associated with organised crime, I mean, you know, the looting and the corruption, like you're not doing a bad job already. You know, if, if you want to, then by all means, you know, top it off with an appropriate label. But if you don't <laughs> want to attract connotations of organised crime... Maybe the five families is a bad look. Do you think? I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, I, I like to feel like I personally don't subscribe to this horrible penchant that we have in this country, you know, calling people names and then having those names elicit like emotional reactions, you know, and it's, you know, just a few words designed to purely make somebody feel bad. It's like, but honestly, I feel like if you go around calling yourself the Spartans or like the Star Chamber, I feel like some sort of Spanish Inquisition or like Beetlejuice thing should kick in where they just bundle you up in canvas and dump your body in a well. I'm sorry, like, I, I know that that sounds harsh, but truly, I feel like if you label yourself the Spartans then that will elicit an emotional reaction in me and you need to anticipate that. And don't be tone policing me for saying this stuff. Bloody snowflakes. Can't say anything anymore. Etc, etc. Anyway, so what were today's big stories? Let's try and keep this loosely topical. Um, so obviously the big story was uh, the Rwanda vote uh, last night. Uh, victory for Sunak, etc. Um, but also today's big stories were, I think PMQs was quite fun uh, this afternoon. Um, I saw Rishi Sunak was sort of caught, like I want to say snarling. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. Rishi Sunak snarling. Some people could do snarling. You know, this next section or segment will not be a critique of snarling in and of itself. Like the Californian rapper... The game, if you're familiar, he does a great snarl. He's got a really good snarl on him. I think Avril Lavigne as well, bizarrely. Like, she, she was quite a good snarler, I seem to remember. Um, who else does a good snarl? Uh, Pink, the singer, uh, did a pretty good snarl in a couple of like music. And yes, look, I am aware that all of my pop culture references are firmly anchored in the early noughties. But I am 43, so just, you know... This isn't one extra, for God's sake. Um, anyway, I suppose my point is some people can do a good snarl. But I'm not sure that the prime minister <laughs> is one of them. Uh, so here's, here's what happened. So PMQ started and Sunak was cheered. Was loud, booming cheers. You know, from his tribe. Or perhaps all of his five families. Uh, as it was, like everyone on that side of the uh, House of Commons were, was cheering him on. Um, and as The Guardian reported, you know, it's a, a bit bizarre, isn't it? You know, this weakened, embattled prime minister and everyone's like, yeah, Rishi, go on, son. You won the vote, you hero. With your two day campaign of unrelenting appeasement. <laughs> what a visionary. 
God. Um. Anyway, and then he well, he so he arrived and he he did his little ditty where he pretends that we've all had some big tax cuts, uh, even though we're heading for this all time you know post war tax high. Uh, so that's always fun to listen to. Uh, and then anyway, Starmer then asked him about homelessness, which. I don't know how many of you were actually aware of this, um, but, you know, thanks to the cost of living crisis and the housing crisis uh, creating, a, you know, that crunch on stock. Like there's nowhere near enough new one bed and two bed, you know, flats or like little houses, starter homes being built or even land being like greenlit to be built on. Like there's just not. I think Michael Gove today even like relaxed the house building targets even further. It's like, what are you doing? Like. Um, and I thought he was one of the few that in terms of housing and the challenges that the housing sector faced, I thought he was one of the few that actually understood some stuff because of how he handled himself around the leasehold stuff, you know. Anyway, evidently, they need some more money coming in from like property people, you know, you know how it works. So. Um. So because of the housing crisis and the cost of living crisis and the mortgage crisis as well, you know, where the Bank of England hiked rates 13 times and it sent mortgages soaring and subsequently now rents are exploding because so many rented properties are actually buy to let. They're purchased. They're on a mortgage. So when that mortgage goes up, your rent goes up by 500 quid or 700 quid if you're very unlucky. Um but anyway, so homelessness in the UK is kind of exploding. It has never been bigger. Guys, all oh, homelessness is popular now. Um, it's up 25% from last year, even. In some parts, it's more. Uh, if you go give uh, Liam Thorpe a follow on Twitter, he's a journalist from the... Is it the Liverpool Echo, I want to say? Uh, definitely like Liverpool. Um, and he does some really good stuff, uh, really good reporting, like on-the-ground reporting uh, from uh, about like homelessness in Liverpool is is absolutely just like floor jawing for want of a better phrase. Um, but also Jamie Shapiro is another guy. Uh, he writes for the Southern Daily Echo, which uh, they were reporting in Southampton, and Southampton has seen a tripling of rough sleepers. Triple. So you know, like there's there's a reason why they wanted to criminalise people like staying sleeping out rough in tents. All right. It's because they don't have any solutions to actually solve the housing crisis, i.e. build enough homes, rein in the banks. So instead, what's the next best thing they can do is police the ripple effects of all of that. Um, they were seeking, you know, towards the end of Suella Braverman's term as Home Secretary to, uh, yeah, to make it a criminal offence to, to sleep in your tent out in public. And that is because they know that tent cities are coming. So anyway... I know that all of this sounds really dark and, uh, you know, I try to keep this show at least a little bit gallows humour, you know, kind of fun and funny. And, uh, you know, I, I want to leave you somewhat uplifted with my content. Um, so I know that all of that sounds really dark and depressing and bad uh, and, and, and so on. Um, but you will be relieved to hear that there is actually a silver lining uh, to some of this stuff. There, there is something to feel good, good about and you have to take your wins where you can these days. Um, and, and that is the silver lining is that despite it getting murderously cold out there, um, despite the absence of uh, private rental protections being put in place, all of that was watered down and kicked down the road a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember. 
um, you know, even though the numbers of rough sleepers are soaring, nay, tripling in, in some areas, the silver lining, this should make you feel good. The silver lining, at least we can take solace in the fact that HSBC, Lloyd's, NatWest, Barclays, all of them have made an absolute killing out of the interest rates being hiked up all of that time. They have, oh my God, have they made back. Should we go through some of them? Uncharacteristically, I have actually prepped them. This will make you really love capitalism. Uh, here we go. You ready? Let's do this. So HSBC more than doubles profits as interest rates soar. Uh, who have we got next? Uh, Lloyd's profits jumped by 46% amid higher interest rate charges. NatWest, first quarter, just the first quarter, first three months of the year, profits jumped by 50% after interest rate rises. Last but not least, Barclays. Profits have jumped to 4.6 billion pounds. Oh, man. Doesn't that just make you feel good? <laughs> I feel like we should celebrate, you know, I feel like we should celebrate the hard work of the banks. You guys have had a great year, a great couple of years, in fact, since you first started hiking interest rates and broke all of us financially. But you've had a good year. You've worked hard for it. We should celebrate. We should have a street party, shouldn't we? We should have a street. Let's celebrate in the street. I mean, clear the tents away first, of course. I said a, I said a party, not a festival. Anyway, yeah. Does it, doesn't that make you just feel better, though? You know, doesn't that just warm the cockles? Where your central heating probably should have. <laughs> and I know, you know, I know it's a little bit annoying because you're struggling and hungry and, you know, but the thing you've got to remember, guys, dear listeners, the thing that you have to remember is that they have worked so hard for that money. All right. You know, those those passive income shareholders <laughs> and pensiony dividendy old bastards, they, they work really hard for that. Clearly they have. So rest assured, your money is going to be put to much, much better use via the, uh, you know, bonuses of bankers, I guess, who are going to spend it on um, uh, what? I don't know. Like a custom-built Bentley, maybe, or or getting twin teenage hostesses shipped in from Sweden, or you know, whatever else it is that billionaire bankers waste it all on. I mean, you know, I say waste, it'll trickle down, right? That's how it works. That's what I'm told. Is it'll trickle down? Like they rob you of your money that you needed to pay your rent. But then they hand it to people who are already rich, like these bankers, who then spend it on sick and twisted stuff, like the twins. But then the twins will get paid and then they will spend it on, you know, alcoholism, probably. <laughs> Whatever it takes to numb the pain from the traumatic experience of going twos up on a 67-year-old CFO of Fairfax Smythe Bank or wherever. <laughs> wherever is the bank that is not the one that I've just made up that I could get sued for. Um, and then, you know, the alcohol company that they spent the money on, they make a bit more money and then they pay their employees a, 
the exact same amount as last year. You know, they just hive it all off for themselves and their own bonuses and stuff. And then and then they savage the healthcare benefits of all of the breweries and employees. And anyway, so the system works is is what I think we're supposed to believe. The system works, guys. So where was I? Um. Oh yes. Yeah, so PMQs. <laughs> If this is your first time listening, you're going to have to get used to me going off on tangents here. So, um, so PMQ. So Starmer raises homelessness uh, as, as one of his questions. And he gives examples of, you know, heartbreaking Christmas situations. And it's a somber thing. And he's speaking earnestly. And he's trying to engage, uh, I guess, a, a sort of... Um, you know, this is absolutely heartbreaking. And what are we going to do to fix this? You know, how could you have allowed this to go so spectacularly wrong? It's like that sort of vibe, earnestly, quiet, somber, right? And Sunak just snaps. <laughs> like he can't, I tell you what the problem is, right? He can't access the empathy that you need to be able to employ to meet Starmer on that level. Do you understand what I mean? Like, he, he doesn't have that in his brain. So I, I think that's what it is. Or or it could be. The other possibility is that, you know, it's, it's sort of his ego is flipping to anger because he knows he has no recourse, you know, to fight back. That's that's why it sort of flips. Like, you know, it's, it's like... Like, it is his party that's been in power, right? It is his party's doing or undoing um as the case may be so like it's a, it's a bit like if somebody accuses you of something that you know that you did do you know? <laughs> like and you're only 12 let's say you're 12 years old and someone accuses you of you know eating all the chocolate or whatever and you trip switch like you're not emotionally intelligent enough to be able to handle an accusation that you know you did <laughs> you deserve the accusation for and so instead you trip switch to anger because you're only 12 like no i didn't like why why'd you accuse me of that I'm, well, I'm so insulted and offended but you know it's like that sort of thing i don't know which it is though for sunak in pmqs is it childishness and ego or is it a lack of empathy it could i mean it's possibly both right but either way it was ridiculous um you know with Prime Minister, the homelessness problem in the UK is soaring. People are going to have a cold, miserable, broke Christmas. Some of them on the streets, some of them with children. How has it got this bad? How dare you come into this house and speak this oikish, plebish drivel to your betters? Bow down! Bow down and kiss the ring, you soot! Gargling vagrant was very much the uh, <laughs> the vibe, the demeanour he was uh, he was giving off. So was it ego and childishness, or was it a total lack of empathy? I don't know. Uh, but either way, yeah, what we got wasn't a sort of um, you know Sunakian victory. <laughs> Although I'm sure that is precisely how it will be reported in tomorrow morning's uh, Express. Um. No, what we got was a snarl, ladies and gents. We got a Sunakian snarl. Out went the polite, if slightly petulant head boy kind of vibe. And in came the toffee and bullish snarl, guys. 
and I've not seen it before. Like he's, he always comes across as like impatient and like he can't be. If you if you just under, it's quite simple, really. You know, he's he's got that sort of. I'm too intelligent and you're really wasting my time by asking me these questions. He's got that sort of thing to him, hasn't he? But uh, but that sort of left the building and instead we were treated to a Sunakian snarl. Uh, the mask slipped, if you will. Angry Rishi came out to play <laughs> today at PMQs. Like an American bully XL or whatever, you know? I found myself going like, look out, Rishi, look out. <laughs> or you might have to launch a weird distraction campaign to ban yourself. You clown. I mean, you have to see this snark, guys. I'm sort of maybe I'm bigging it up a bit too much, but I thought it was hilarious. And it was immediately predictably like all over Twitter with memes and, you know, the snarl being like positioned. Have you seen the meme of, I think it's Lindsay Lohan looking really upset, going like, like that. And they, you know, sort of photoshopped his face on the top. Um, He looked like somebody that's never snarled before, you know, if I'm honest. I think that was the sort of vibe I read from it. He looked like somebody, you know, like it's his first time pretending to be angry. <laughs> you know, when you meet people who just don't suit being angry. And then when you piss them off, they get angry. But it doesn't have the desired effect. It doesn't scare you or it doesn't make you think, oh, my God, I've really upset this person. I should probably apologize. Like, actually, it makes you go like, you know, you should you should calm down because like this doesn't you don't do angry. Well, like I can hear your voice quivering and you're all red and flushed. And if like angry isn't you, bro, you know, it's kind of like that. Um, Like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's unfair. Maybe he was just having a bad day. You know, maybe his high heels were on too tight or something. The last thing I wanted to talk about tonight was this sort of weird era that we found ourselves in of a kind of corpro politics. I don't know if I'm phrasing that right. Probably not. Um, or politico corporization or so. Like, there's a word. There's, it's going to be somebody way more articulate and eloquent than me will coin this. It'll be a Lewis Goodall or an Ian Dunt. Or, you know, Bungle from, what was the show? That... I can't even remember the name of the shows that, like, Bungles. That's how, how inarticulate and tired I am uh, tonight. But you know you know what I'm getting at. is is the sort of politicisation of corporations and, and, and so on. And I suppose this starts off with things like, you know, Human Rights Act, HR, legislation, protections, diversity training. It, like, it would... I could imagine the right wing kind of ranting about it in that regard. But what I'm more interested in and what sort of struck me earlier was the focus that is immediately thrown on the Gary Lineker and BBC stuff, which is just firing up all over again. Like we hadn't already gone down this road and resolved this and embarrassed the right wingers enough six months ago or whenever it was. Now we have to come. We were in a cul-de-sac. Are we going to revisit this whole thing? Like... It, like for the, for the benefit of those who didn't see my video this afternoon and who maybe just catch the podcast, like the podcast is enough for you. God bless you. Um, uh, basically, where we're at, you know, before when this reared its head, uh, Gary Lineker said something. It was seen as highly political. The right wing rags tried to rein him in. The BBC said, oh, we're going to take this very seriously and suspended him, pulled him off match of the day. And then a week later... <laughs> They came back to him and said, well, OK, I mean, would you um, 
would you would you come back like Gary Lineker didn't have to apologize the BBC just allowed him back and all because he is a contractor on a different set of terms and conditions and contractors who work in non-news and current affairs can basically say what they like he hasn't signed up to anything that says he has to be restricted and as long as it's in his personal life and on his own personal social media ergo you're not on match of the day saying f the tories right then you're free to do as you please but they're not content with that now gary lineker has sort of clapped back to grant shapps because shapps has sort of criticized him and lineker has said well you know i'm not sure i'm really going to take much notice of a guy who walks around with like four different pseudonyms you know who am i even talking to sort of thing that's not his joke that's mine uh but you, you get the point. He sort of read up at Grant Shapps and now all of the same faces from all of the same publications are saying, what's to be done about this insolent Gary Lineker? Uh, that was the word used, an actual word used in the Telegraph this morning. Insolent Gary Lineker. Like they feel like it's this teacher energy to that, isn't it? This teacher energy, angry mum energy to it. What are you, what's to be done with this insolent boy? This Insolent Gary Lineker. Anyway, so that's all of the context uh, that you need to know. But it's the politicization of these corporations that I'm really interested in, because it's like, why do we care so much? Or rather, why do the right wingers pretend to care so much about what this contractor does on his social media? You know, I mean, I suppose the easy answer to that question is, uh, they care about it because it's the BBC and they hate the BBC for ideological reasons. So this is an opportunity to bash the Beeb while attempting to neutralise one of the right's most outspoken critics, i.e. Gary Lineker is a lefty or certainly seen as one. Um, and this is their way of sort of trying to get him to get back in his box. Then on the flip side, so you've got BBC over here, then you've got ITV, right? Now, Nigel Farage has just left the I'm a Celebrity jungle. And he is on the front pages of various newspapers like, you know, I don't make me go to war with ITV. Don't make me start a war, ITV. You know, and he's talking directly to the CEO or like the head of programming for ITV. And he's like, you know, the last person that picked a fight with me was Dame, whatever her name was from, from NatWest. And that didn't turn out too well for her. So I'm willing to leave this here. I'll be the bigger man, but just stop what you do. Like he's, he's picking a fight with them and basically telling ITV to get back in their box. And I think this is a really interesting moment, isn't it? Because you've got the right trying to bash the BBC and tell Lineker to get back in his box. The right telling ITV, you you stop doing this. Don't criticise Nigel. You get back in your box. And it really sort of speaks to this weird new conservatism that is no longer a friend to business. You know, I don't need to rehash all of the Boris Johnson F business stuff, right? But they're no longer a friend to business. They're seemingly no longer a friend to free speech, even though they, you know, claim to be every possible opportunity. What about free speech? What about this? But, you know, clearly they're not in favour of Gary Lineker uh, sharing his opinions. Nigel Farage has taken some umbrage with the ITV chap sharing his opinions. So out goes business or close proximity to business. Out goes free speech. Out goes the concept of like, oh, we don't want to be big state. We don't want state overreach because they're literally reaching in to couples and families and splitting them up. So out goes family values. What core pillars of conservatism remain? 
in 2023 going into 2024 what core pillars are there of concern like what do they actually stand for for all of the talk of uh or by robert jenrick last week seven days ago he resigned right from the government as minister for immigration seven days ago he said this deal is unworkable and it is against my principles I cannot work with it. I'm going to have to resign as immigration minister. Some would say he was privately striking a deal with Suella Braverman and she was going to try and be Tory leader and he was going to be or was promised home secretary. But I'm sure she would never do a dirty deal behind the scenes, the likes of which she already struck with Rishi Sunak when he was going to be leader. But, you know, anyway, seven days ago, uh, Jenrick resigns because this deal was against his core principles. And now... After last night's vote, he reverse ferreted and supported it. So, like, the guy who resigned because it was the thing was against his principles has not only gone back to support it, reneging on his own principle that the deal was against, that he helped construct. Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, here. Not only does the Conservative Party not have principles, there are no more core components of conservatism exhibited in the modern Tory party, but even their ministers, their supporting cast, don't have principles when talking about their own principles. What does the modern Conservative Party actually stand for? And this is like, I guess, the final thought, really, if this show could be pretentious enough to pretend to leave you with a final thought, is that in a country that has a governing Conservative Party and where all of the core pillars of conservatism no longer exist, i.e. family values, um, small state, you know, small government, no state overreach, close proximity to business, uh, fiscal responsibility. I didn't even talk about that. I don't need to, do I? I mean, we could barely say conservatives and fiscal responsibility within the same sentence without bursting out laughing. But where all of these core components are absent, what is left that the Conservative Party is standing for other than literally self-preservation, which actually is in this day and age, in this parliament, with this administration, is actually fascism. You know, what are we actually talking about now? Can we say the F word comfortably? Not that F word, YouTube algo that consistently punishes me every video now. I upload is flagged <laughs> as limited view. Anyway, you get my point. Once you remove all of the core pillars of con conservatism and we can no longer even half seriously claim that it reflects any of these core principles. What is left other than this desperation to cling on to power, no matter if you disenfranchise voters, no matter if you're striking hooky deals with publishers of newspapers, no matter if you're getting stories pulled because they might be embarrassing to you if they ended up on the front page of the Times. No matter if you are looting the public purse for every day that you're still in power because you're worried that once you get ejected from power, then you might not have your hands on that money anymore. You know, what is actually left? Like, can we comfortably call the Conservative Party fascists now? I actually think we can. And I think going forward, I will. Um... Anyway, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Um, I will be back uh, Friday night with a guested show. No idea who that is yet. I'm going to have to jump on the old WhatsApps and start begging people to appear. Um, I'm going to keep doing the punk politics videos. I did a, a couple of polls. I did one on YouTube and I did one on Twitter. 
uh, and I said, which of the videos, the content that I put out, do you like the most? What's your favorite? I said, punk politics, guested podcasts, uh, solo podcasts like this one, uh, or the alternative paper review. So they're quite different products, right? Because the guested shows are just pretty laid back. I just ask questions and we try to have a decent conversation for an hour. Uh, the solo ones are like this one, right? They take a bit of prep, but it's okay. I, I enjoy doing them. But it's basically an hour of stand-up. It's like me trying to make myself laugh with the news, right? Then you got the paper review, which is like short, quick, hard-hitting, like three minutes, five minutes long. Uh, and then finally, you've got punk politics, which is a lot of fun to put together, but it does take it takes a long time to make one of those. So anyway, I, I put these things out and on both polls, it was like punk politics came out like staggeringly in front. And I'm just wondering if, you know, I should adjust things and just spend all my time doing punk politics, you know, with with a, a few little solo show podcasts or something like tone down one. So I've got time to spend on the other. So I don't know. It'd be really useful to you guys if you do just listen to the podcast and you don't follow me on Twitter or YouTube uh, whatever like now would be a really good time for you to get in touch and just let me know if you if you are enjoying these if uh you know if you'd like me to keep doing them because um you know it, it takes it's time away from my kids it's time away from editing and i just want to make sure that i'm giving you guys the stuff that you are actually interested in so uh so there's that anyway once again big shout thank you to um to all of my patrons um thank you so much for continuing your support of the show quickly run through you now um rachel harris bowman kai christy david voice martin maracas mojo sabian peter del monte who was in the chat the other night as was uh, Mojo Sabian, uh, Pingu, Stuart, T-Rex, Aaron, uh, Aid or Addy. I hope I'm pronouncing that correct. He's super new. He's just joined the Patreon last week. Alex Souter, uh, Jeff McGow, MJ Nichols just joined us also on the Patreon last week. What's up, MJ? Uh, Ned Berg, Sarah Setters, Simon Flack, Ailsa, Malcolm, Rodri and Kerry. Thank you so, so much, guys. Uh, once again, I'll be back Friday night. Take care of yourselves. Until next time. I'm out this Mother Hubbard. <laughs>